Thanks so much for joining us today. I hope you had a wonderful Thanksgiving, whatever you got to do, if you traveled, if you got to see family, even if it was just you and the TV, I hope you had a wonderful, wonderful Thanksgiving. We have much to be thankful for. As a church, we just walk verse by verse through the Bible. We're going to continue to do that today. We are in Luke chapter 18, verses 18 through 23. There's a story here that is one most people do not like to hear. Okay, there are certain topics that come up within the normal ebb and flow of a church that people just kind of go, I would rather avoid that. You you may have some thoughts right now of what that might be. But the one that most people don't like to hear is the topic of money, giving, taking what you have and giving it away. We don't like that topic for a very specific reason. We like our money. We like our possessions. We like our stuff. We like what it allows us to do, what it affords us to be able to accomplish in life. And today we have an individual coming up to Jesus who has, for all extents and purposes, lived the perfect life. He's also incredibly wealthy and he wants to know what it takes for him to have eternal life. And Jesus gives him the answer. We know that he's rich, according to Matthew. We know that according to Luke, he's a ruler. Uh, You've maybe heard him called the rich young ruler. Nowhere in the scripture does it say he's young. That's interesting. But I think there's an assumption here that he's young. In any church in America, he would be welcomed as a leader. An influential business person in the community, loves God tremendously, absolutely should be in the driver's seat. Any church would take him. And he sees Jesus walking down the road and he runs up to him and he has a simple question. What what else do I need to do? I'm really, really good. I'm really good. What else do I need to do? And Jesus is going to tell him, ultimately it's your money. It's just your money that's standing in the way. And no one wants to hear that. I don't want to hear that. You don't want to hear that. He doesn't want to hear that. No one wants to hear that. Here's the truth, though, church. What I found to be genuine across all times, the things I don't want to hear are probably the messages I need to hear the most. And so that's where we're going today. The things that I don't want to hear are the messages I probably need to hear the most. So here we go. We start with the big question. Luke 18, verse 18. A certain ruler, okay, this man, asked Jesus, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What what do I have to do? Mark, the gospel Mark says, he ran up and fell on his knees before Jesus. So, So picture that. You have a rich, affluent, powerful person running up to a carpenter's son with nothing, falling on his knees before him and begging the answer to this question. Matthew adds, what good thing must I do? I'm pretty good, but I, 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 I sense that I need to do more. And since I want to do more, can you just tell me, good teacher, what I must do? Now, it's a valid question. If someone ran up to me and asked me, what must I do to inherit eternal life? I'd say, you need to have faith in Jesus. You need to be obedient to him, give your life away. I, I, I would have that answer just in my pocket, ready to go. The Bible gives an even more simple answer. Romans 10 verse 9 says that if you confess with your mouth 
that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's what the Bible says. That's, that's what it takes to inherit eternal life. Jesus takes it much more personal. Because he is the son of God, he knows this man. And he knows the one idol that's standing in the way. And so he speaks specifically to the heart of the man asking the question, just as God will do to any one of us. Lord, is there there anything standing between us? He will always respond. He will always let us know. We may not like the answer, but he will always, always respond. So he gives an answer, but verse 19, he first redirects. Okay, so we're going to get to the big answer, but there's a redirect right at the beginning. Luke 18, verses 19 through 21. Why do you call me good? Jesus answered. So that's not the question, but the man came up and said, good, good teacher, tell me, tell me how to inherit eternal life. Why do you call me good? Jesus asked. No one is good except God. God alone is good. That's, that's the only one who's good. You know the commandments. He's speaking of the 10 commandments. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony, lie, Don't lie. Honor your father and mother. Now, clearly, that's not all Ten Commandments, but those are the ones that deal with relating to other people. And he's saying to this young ruler, this rich man, he's saying, you know these commandments. And the man responds, all of these I have kept since I was a boy. Every one of them. I've done them. I've done them well. And the language there in verse 21 is actually pretty interesting. It's, it's almost like he's saying, that's child's play. I, I, I have no issue with this. Never murdered anyone. I don't lie. Don't commit adultery. Uh, I don't steal. Like I, I've, I've followed it. It's easy. It's easy for me to do this. So there's nothing hard about this. But we need to go back and pick up verse 19 and handle it because it's separate from this. Why would Jesus rebuke someone coming up and calling him a good teacher? Now, there's two possibilities. The first one is that he knows this man is seeking truth. He knows that the only good one is God. So instead of referring to Jesus as the good one, as the good God, he's referring to him as the good teacher. And he's trying to get this young gentleman to understand, I am God. He's trying to get him to understand that. That that could be one reason for the rebuke. There's a second reason that's been thrown out by commentators, and, and I kind of lean more this way. I think Jesus is trying to push back. Basically, this man comes up and says, good sir, as one good man to another, Tell me what good deed I must do to be an even gooder man. I I need to know what I must do to inherit eternal life. You're a good man. I'm a good man. As good men, let us just speak. And Jesus goes, stop. Why do you call me good? Why do you call yourself good? What good deed do you think I'm going to give you that's going to allow you to enter into the presence of the one who is good, which is God? And so I think, I think that's probably why Jesus responds the way that he does. We we don't know for sure, because then he just goes into this 
teaching on the commandments. And the man says, I've, I've done that. I've done every one of those. Uh, I, I have it correct. I follow the Lord traditionally in Jewish living. The, the one who follows the commands of God is righteous, is good, is just. Deuteronomy 30, verse 16. For I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in his ways, to keep his commands. This is what the Lord decrees and laws. Then you will live because of your goodness. You will live and increase and the Lord your God will bless you in the land you are entering to possess. That, that was the thought. Obey God, follow his commands. He's going to bless you. We have this man coming up to Jesus going, I feel like I'm missing something. I feel like I'm missing something. What, what do I need to add? Before we entertain the idea that, first of all, this person cannot be sinless. We know that. Romans 3 tells us that. He's, of course, sinful. We need to understand the Old Testament. When you sinned or when you failed to obey a commandment in the Old Testament, there was a prescribed sacrifice to fix it. And so that's what's happening here. He's not saying he's never told a lie. But if he did, he would go offer the correct sacrifice in the temple and that sin would be absolved and, and he would move on down the road right before God. Paul actually says the same thing in Philippians 3 verse 6. As far as zeal, I persecuted the church. As far as legalistic righteousness, I was faultless. Legalistic righteousness. He doesn't, he doesn't hang his hat on it, but he's going... When it came to obeying rules, I was really good. I was really good at it, actually. You'd be impressed. I, I never did anything I wasn't supposed to do. Paul says that. But Jesus knows this man's heart when he says, I've been faultless since I was a boy. I've never messed up on this. Jesus knew the man needed more. He had been told his entire life that the way to heaven was through the law, was through obeying rules. He had kept those rules perfectly, but his soul longed for something else. It's, it's almost like this, this man knew that being good wasn't good enough. He, he wanted something more. Being a moral person is great. Being a good person is admirable. Doing religious things are beneficial to yourself and the community. But none of these earn you eternal life. And there, there's this sense that this man knew that. I, there has to be a little bit more. It takes faith. It takes devotion. It takes love. It takes loving the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That, that's what it takes. We were created for relationship with God, not for legalism which is what this man lived in. And oftentimes legalism, it hinders our relationship with God because we think because we're so good, he owes us something. This man felt that and he wondered, what good thing am I missing? What, what am I not doing? And so Jesus gets to the heart of the matter, which Jesus does so well. Luke 18, 22 and 23. When Jesus heard this, Luke does not add this, but Mark does, and I think it's important. 
Mark says Jesus loved this man. He felt for him. Now, obviously, God loves us all, John 3.16. But there's an admiration for this man, his desire for more. There's an admiration there. There's a love there. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, you lack one thing. You, you just lack one thing. And you've got to think at, the, at hearing these words, that guy got so excited. Oh, okay, good. Just one more, uh, one more thing. I've, I've been working my whole life to be good enough. Just one more thing. I, I've got this. You know, like one thing. Go sell everything you have and give it to the poor. And then you will have treasure in heaven. And then once you've done that, once you've gotten rid of the idol that comes between you and I, then I want you to come follow me. Verse 23. When he heard this, he became very sad because he was very wealthy. He was very wealthy. He became very sad, just kind of walking backwards through this. The word that Luke uses here means he was wrapped in grief. Matthew says he left grieving. Why? Because he couldn't do it. He couldn't honor the one thing that he'd asked. He had too much. His security and his livelihood was tied up in his possessions. And Jesus said, you need to get rid of those and then come follow me. The following him part wasn't the problem. It was the getting rid of the security. He was hurt. And I don't think he was hurt because of what Jesus said. I think he was hurt because he knew he couldn't do it. He knew that was on him. I think he's sad because he still doesn't have the answer that allows him to have Jesus and all his money. I, I, want, I want you. I, I want life with you. But I also want all my stuff. I think many of us today are wrapped in the same grief. Because we're wrestling with the same question. What do you want from me? Well, child, I, I want total obedience. I want complete faith. I want you. I want your heart. Okay, I mean, I'll, I'll obey the rules. I'll, I'll do what's right. I'll look good, but I can't. I mean, I still got to live. I still got to do my thing. This young man walked away because he truly loved God and he also really liked the money that he has. And the fact that the two things could not coexist really ticks him off. But Jesus has taught about this so many times. Matthew 6, 24 is probably the most famous place where he teaches on this. He says, no one can serve two masters. Either he'll hate the one and love the other or he'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You can't serve both God and money. Jesus has taught this truth. And the response, the response to saying, I don't love my money, the response is a difficult one. And Jesus says it all the time. Well then, go give it away. Go sell your stuff. Go give it away. The Jews in the first century believed that to give away more than 20% of your income 
was wrong because then you would become a burden on the community. The community took care of itself. So if you wanted to give to God, you could not give more than 20%. Jesus has just told this man to give everything, go sell everything. We'll see here in a few weeks as a church, but uh, it'll happen in a few days. For Jesus, he walks up to Zacchaeus and he tells him to go give half of his possessions to the poor. Jesus is going to talk about money often. And we don't like to hear those messages. Because we want Jesus and we want our money. And God just says, I want your heart. I, I want you. And money is one of the greatest hindrances that we have in our world. It's, it's wonderful. Resources are wonderful. But the only way that God prescribes us to show that we are not secure in our money is to give it away. We don't like to do that. If I give it all away, what will I have left? And Jesus would say, what bank account is worth forfeiting your soul? These are tough teachings. But money is an idol. And in Ezekiel chapter 14, God tells us specifically how he will handle any idols in our lives. He will only address the idol until we give it up. Meaning, you wonder why there's this disconnect between you and God. Well, it's because God knows that you love him and your stuff. And he says, well, you love me more than your stuff. Will you love me more than your money? He, he, he's going to ask you that. And eventually you're going to get sick and tired of him asking that. You're going to go, yes or no? Those, those are the only two answers. But the way you show it is through being generous. Now, I would say money is the top idol in America. But you might disagree thinking, well, success, security, those are, those are idols. Those are things that we want with God and are non-negotiable things. You, you might say that, and you'd probably be right, but ultimately those are both success and security are tied to money. And so since God wants your heart, he's going to deal directly with you concerning your idol. And he's going to want to know how much does money dominate your heart? How often is it one of the top discussions that you have with him, whether he's talking to you about it or you're saying, I need more of it. These, these are good ways to indicate if money has become an idol to you. Some more tangible ways to just kind of test yourself. Are you constantly consumed with the fact that you have no money? Is that something that just plays over and over and over in your mind? This, this is getting real personal, but you have a massive amount of consumer debt. You buy things you don't need to impress people you don't like. I've heard that, and it rocked me. Do you have a massive amount of consumer debt? Are you never satisfied with what you have? Do you just wake up and look around at the house and the cars and the stuff, and you just... I just want more. 
It's probably a good indication that money has become an idol for you. Are you envious of everyone else who has more money than you? Do you feel superior to the people who have less than you? And I'm not saying everyone does this, but is that, is that something that motivates you? Just looking around and comparing and feeling like you're better than someone who you have more than and you're inferior to someone you have less than. Are you stingy? And you call it being frugal. Or are you generous? Realizing that what you have is actually God's. I, I'm not saying be silly. You're supposed to be a good steward. But there's a huge difference between being a good steward and just straight up being stingy. Are you unfaithful in your giving? God's called you to give. He gives you all that you have. He asks you for a portion of it back. Are you unfaithful in your giving because you go, I, I, I need this. I'm not giving this talk because the church needs money. I'm giving this talk because we walk verse by verse through the Bible and sometimes we stumble on these passages that stink to hear about, but we probably need to hear them the most. So that, that's why this talk is happening on this day. It's because that's where we are in the gospel of Luke. There's no ulterior motive, which that brings me such joy because I know I'm being so heavy. But we need to hear it. For some, this is just a reminder and an encouragement. For some, it's an eye-opener that requires some action. For a few, this is a make-or-break moment in your life. And how you choose to respond today will dictate your relationship with God. There's some who are at that point. So some response steps. To show that possessions and money are not your idol, to, to step into the conversation that Jesus had with this ruler. Some of you, you need to just give. You need to show God, not your faithfulness, but you need to show that you are willing to trust him. You need to just Give. You need to give. Give something away. A TV, a car, your next paycheck. Just, just give it away. Some of you need to look at regularly starting to give. Okay, Whether that's tithing to the church, whatever that is. You need to show God that I, I trust you. I trust you and I love you and I, ex- I, I, I want you more than this. So you need to just Regularly start to give. It's all God's. How much of his resources do you think you need to keep? Some of you need to do something radically generous. And and when I say that, you need to hear God tell you to do something and do it. For those of you who need to respond, for those of you who need to address this, I I pray you do so in faith, not out of legalism. The reason that ruler went away sad was because what God had asked him to do was too much for him. What God's asking you to do may feel like too much, but is he not worth it? It takes faith. 
And whatever he's calling you to in faith, do so with a generous heart. Do so because you love God more than money. And, and do so immediately. And, and this sounds, I, I promise you, it sounds like a shameful plug. But we're in this season where we're gathering money for Project Christmas. That's the best possible place for you to give right now. And here's why. Because Summit Church doesn't keep a dime of it. It goes to the poor and the hurting and the helpless in our communities. It goes throughout the next year to advance the kingdom of God. And, and I can say that with a pure heart because I'm not asking you out of guilt to give to Summit Church. I'm asking you to give to Project Christmas. A man who'd done everything right for his entire life came to Jesus thinking he was missing something. And Jesus goes, you are. You are. You're missing me. And the reason you're missing me is because your God is your stuff. I think that man's story is a lot of our story. And today I challenge you to look at your life, to look at yourself and to ask yourself this question. Is God worth more to me than my money? And if the answer is yes, amazing. If the answer is no, then hear the prescription. Start getting rid of the other God. Because at the end of the day, you can't take it with you. And at the end of the day, he loves you so much and wants you to love and adore him far more than your things. So Father, help us. Help us to faithfully and obediently love and serve you. May we be generous with the resources you've given us. And God, may the things that we have never become idols that replace you. You are too good and you are too great. We love you. We need you. Lord, help us want you more than anything else in this world. It's in the name of your son, Jesus, we pray. Amen.